3: Ah, welcome back to Hurt Tell Show. Okay, it's all over the news headlines. People have been talking about it. We're gonna talk about it with our friend Sean Timian. Did I get it right? I was practicing. It. Tima, Ia, no, yeah. yeah. Just ah, ah, e, I see. I, I'm a hillbilly. We can't do those vowel sounds. Phonics was the worst thing that ever happened to us. I swear. <laughs> Sean Tima, uh, another great young voices contributor. We'd love to have them. Uh, he's the Chief of Staff for Young Americans for Liberty. He has been all over media, lots of appearances. Sir, thank you for the time. Deep from the heart of Texas, I appreciate you joining us.
0: Yeah, great to be here. Thanks for having me.
3: All right. So the rumor mill has been going and going and going and going and going. I'm kind of confused as to whether we're still in the trial balloon stages or the assaging stages or where we're at with this. But we apparently are going to get some kind of a student debt relief something from President Biden somewhere in here. Uh, be that a change of pace or a change of subject or whatever, it seems like something's going to be coming out. Uh, Is that your read as well? Because it keeps going, the numbers change. Now we're looking at maybe a $10,000 thing. Where do you think we're at in the news cycle on this? Because this has been allowed for a couple of months now.
0: Yeah, well, we know that the left likes to dangle student loan debt relief whenever their poll numbers are dwindling with young Americans. They've never acted on it, but times may be so desperate for Biden and the rest of the democrats that they may actually bite on this one and upset some of their friends in the higher education cartel with sally may and the banks and the ceos of these loan collector companies but it's important to remind people of two things when it comes to the student loan debt crisis it's that uh, maybe even three things we'll see how many i list off but one it's wrong it's wrong to rob peter to pay paul right and simply put we shouldn't be asking blue collar working americans or americans who did not go to college to pay off the debt so people went to Ivy League schools or got gender studies degrees, it's just not fair. And two, canceling student debt does nothing to actually reduce the cost of higher education. In fact, it incentivizes you know the higher education cartel to continue these student loan programs and to continue raising the cost of college beyond a reasonable, affordable amount. So in this debate, it's important we bring those two things up. It's not fair and it's not gonna solve any problems
3: now let's i because i talked to our progressive friends as well the problem that the biden administration is going to have on a practical level is this ten thousand dollar amount seems to be a a unique bidenism of this seems to be ticking everybody off because the people that want it doesn't think it's going to be enough the people that don't want it at all think it's too much this seems like it's almost like you're it's like they're searching for an answer that's not going to make anybody happy that almost makes it even a worse policy doesn't it
0: I agree, and I don't put it past Biden and his advisors to go up with the world's most milk toast option. That just seems like how they do business. But you're right. I mean, for people that are in $100,000 debt, $10,000 is, is just crumbs, um, and it's still going to cost us a heck ton of money that we do not have as a country. I mean, we just printed $5 trillion over the last two years, and you see what that is doing to the price of gas, and the price of food. I mean, there should be a robust debate Uh, and a huge burden of proof to overcome if we are going to spend any more money or print any more money. But you're right. I don't think it's going to make anybody happy. Um, It's not fair (laughs) still. And it will do nothing to reduce the cost of higher education, which is the bigger problem in the first place.
3: John Tima joining us. Okay, let me throw you some of the counter arguments. And let's just work through them here. Uh, The first one is kind of the common sense one that sounds good on the surface of. Well, anytime you do debt relief to people, that's money that would go back into the economy or would go back into other things. What do we say to that argument?
0: Yeah, well, you have to remember where the money is coming from, right? Inevitably, this money is going to be either taxed from people, which that money could have went into the economy, right? Or it's going to be printed, which is pumping up the cost of every piece of the economy that you're looking to buy, so it's a wash at the end of the day if you're raising the price through inflation and printing, or you're taxing people out of their money, you know, just to have that money being put into the economy. It's a broken window fallacy. All
3: right. The other uh, thing that comes up with this is the demographics of who get this. Uh, the argument is, well, student loan debt would help the poorest Americans, but by the numbers, uh, this is actually a lot of middle. Uh, class and up folks that also have student loan debt, not that $100,000 of debt, even for somebody that's pretty wealthy. That's a lot of money. That's crippling debt by anybody's standards. We have sympathy for those folks. But what do we say to that argument?
0: Yeah, well, the data shows the majority of student loan debt is owned by people with master's degrees and doctoral degrees. So if you are that smart to get out there and get that level of a higher education, and you should be smart enough to know how to pay on that debt yourself instead of relying on people who made a fiscally responsible decision to not take on massive debt, to go to trade school, to uh, pay off their debt. Uh, you know So this isn't the grand subsidy for the poor that the left likes to pretend it is. This is subsidizing the Ivy League elites and the arguably, or uh, accordingly, to the to the degree standard, the smartest people in society.
3: Now, let's take the other end of that for a second. You, you're a smart guy. You've seen these numbers already. The fact of the matter is something like 60% of Americans don't do any college whatsoever of any kind. At least they don't have a, a degree or a certificate attaining level of it. On the political side of this, 60-40 issues, the 40 side's usually not the edge of that on the political issues you want to get on. I understand the arguments folks are making. I'm sympathetic to people that want debt relief. But if you're on the wrong end of a 60-40 split, that just doesn't sound like it's going to be as politically advantageous as people are pitching it to me. I'm just talking straight on the numbers of it. Does it strike you that way, too?
0: Yeah, according to a poll done by the Washington Examiner, you know, it's 60 percent of people polled said it would be unfair for those who didn't go to college to have to pay off the debts of those who did. You know, just about half of the American public, according to this poll, also believes It'd be unfair to those who took on debts and paid them off to then have to subsidize other people. So it's not like a, you know, 90-10 split. It's not like something that's going to energize, you know, the vast majority of Americans. This is gonna make some people thankful. It's gonna tick off a heck of a whole lot of other people. And, you know, what are you really left with at the end of the day if you're the Democrats, if you're Biden? You're you still got young people who are upset at the cost of living. You still got young people who are upset about a whole other variety of issues. So, is it really worth you know screwing up our economy and ticking off you know half of the American public to maybe get the youth vote up just a little bit? I don't think so.
3: Yeah, and I'm not sure this is aimed at the youth vote anyway. I think this is aimed at some the donor class, for lack of a better way. But that's just my opinion. Uh, let me ask you a couple of things that you touched in on your piece because you didn't just complain about it. You also offered some solutions. Here's a solution that I think would be this would be a regulatory solution. This would be a really quick thing to do. I think it's the most common sense way to do it. Uh, talk about the bankruptcy option because we have protected student loan debt from bankruptcy. And I'm saying protected in air quotes here because that's a fallacy. Why can't, why is this the only debt in America that people can't discharge through bankruptcy, which is a fair process, which lets people fairly deal with their creditors and get some actual relief that's court mandated and protected? but not if you're a student loan debt. That doesn't make sense to a lot of folks. Why can't we just go that route?
0: Yeah, well, one interpretation of the golden rule is uh, he who has the gold makes the rules, right? So you've got a lot of lobbyists from Sally May, a lot of lobbyists from the banks who made it so difficult for people to declare bankruptcy on their student loan debts. So that way the lenders could keep lending it out and having no repercussions if the loans didn't pan off. So you relax some of those laws you allow people who may have been you know arguably you know put into this predatory system and i'm i'm willing to call it a predatory system that doesn't excuse the fact that we can just wipe all these loans off but it's set up for a lot of people to fail right if they actually had to take on the risk of these lenders of saying hey we might lose our investment on these loans if these people just aren't making enough money or they made a poor decision they went to study underwater basket leaving their 100,000 degree 100,000 in debt Uh, then maybe they would be less likely to actually give out that mass sum of loans in the first place. Um, So simply put, if you put the lenders on the hook and you allow people to declare bankruptcy, that has an effect where there's less loans going out. There's less loans going out. The cost of college goes down. People can actually afford it without drowning in debt. Seems like a win-win to me.
3: Yeah. Sean Tima joining us. Uh, I'm a practical guy. If we had a perfect world system where people sat down and discuss things, you know, even though I don't think it's the greatest thing in the world, I would trade an X amount of student loan debt to reform the system. I think that would be a good fair trade, but I think the repercussions here is if you don't reform the system first and then you forgive the debt, you're just increasing the predatory nature of the debt system. Am I wrong to think that way? Because I know even some pretty hardcore conservative people are like, look, if you can reform the system, you take the short-term hit to get the long-term benefit. I'd write off 30, 40, 50, whatever X amount of dollars to fix the system that's billions of dollars of predatory debt. But I don't see that here. I see something that might perpetuate the problem. Is that how you see it?
0: Yeah. The top priority has got to be getting the cost of college down. And you can only do that by taking approaches that are going to hurt, you know, the elite class, uh, you know, in DC. Um, And I really think, you know, and people say this is bold. People say this will have repercussions, but I really think the only way that we have a quick fix on this or something that makes a huge impact is if you take the root of the problem right at the heart of the problem and that is cutting off you know, these federal student loans for several years until colleges have to readjust and figure out what the heck is going on with their prices, because they, they're able to jack up these prices because they know the government is going to take on the footing of the bill. 92% of all loans are federally guaranteed. That is unlike any other uh, free market system that's out there. Any other business can't afford to run on that. They have to set the prices to normal rates but colleges get a free pass and administrators get all this extra money to spend on on frivolous things and banks are making hand over fist. I don't think that's fair to the student. So you take out the student loan program altogether. Colleges have to trim the fat. They have to reset the normal. Then maybe we can actually start having a conversation about what to do to make amends from there. But you've got to get the cost of college down first.
2: You can reach your financial goals easier and still have the occasional treat. Take more control of your finances and say goodbye to monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com/goals24. That's chime.com/goals24. Chime. Feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by Bancorp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA. Members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply.
1: Who get it done?
3: So, legislatively, that's probably not going to happen anytime soon for a lot of reasons because, let's face it, both parties, a lot of them are higher education, most of them Ivy League educated in a lot of different ways. So let's talk about the other end of it, something we can maybe do. I think the real um, insipidious part of this thing is, and you touched on, on your piece, and even people who are for student loan debt admit this is the problem. We are funneling kids into the college system that have no business going to college. And I don't mean they're not able to, they just don't want to or whatever. But this idea that every single kid has to go to college and therefore every single kid has to pay into the college system, I think that's where the real root of this problem is. That's something that's a cultural change, which is a hard change to do. It's a structural change in secondary education. That's also something we don't need legislative to do. That's something that can start being changed as a mentality. Where do you see that we can go in that direction in some practical ways?
0: Yeah, it's, it's on us. It's on business leaders. It's on parents. It's on families to just resist the uh, poor financial decision for a lot of these folks. Um, you know, you think of my cousin, right? My cousin's an incredibly gifted uh, you know, a, a tradesman. He, he's studying to be an electrician now. But he went to two community colleges, racked up some debt, and realized, hey, this isn't the place for me. I'm going to go to trade school. Um, he instinctually wanted to go to trade school, but he thought that his ticket to prosperity and that the right thing to do was to go to college, right, in liberal arts, because that's what he was told was a marker of success. Um, and there's no, you know, one legislative bill or, you know, one statement from a president that's going to change that. I mean, that's just got to come from a bottom-up solution, you know, from family saying, you know what, it's okay if my kid does not go to college, because you look at the data, people who go to trade school, people who take alternate paths, when you factor out the student loan debt, when you look at the starting salaries of a lot of these jobs, they end up evening out with a lot of liberal arts degrees without the debt. So we just got to be able to continue to share that information and make that a cultural norm person by person, leader by leader, until we start to see a cultural change.
3: Now, folks will argue, Sean Tima joining us, that you need to keep up with high tech stuff. But the fact of the matter is companies like, even like an Amazon and Google, they're starting to have in-house recruiting now where they're bringing people straight in. They're doing in-house training and quote unquote, college in-house so that they have those employees from the go. It's almost the old apprenticeship starting to reemerge because even these major companies are like, hey, these these degrees are all kind of running together and they're not telling us anything about what kind of employee we're getting. So the old argument that to be high tech, you got to go to college, it's not holding up. And I think the other thing that's not getting talked about is you just spent two years telling kids they could do school online. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of kids are going to like the flexibility. They don't like it for high school because of the social stuff. A lot of those community college kids, a lot of those trade school kids, I think you're going to see an explosion of online learning or probably more specifically hybrid learning where they're like, hey, I can do this cheaper on the road, plus I can mm. work, or I can work on my online stuff, or I can work on my influencing, or whatever the case may be. I think there's going to be a cultural change long before there's an institutional change, and maybe that's how this starts to get changed a little bit. What do you think?
0: Yeah, no, that's a great point, and that's you know, a silver lining of COVID. We have to look for those silver linings, and one of those is realizing, hey, I can progress you know, in my uh, quote-unquote necessary you know, education behind the computer screen. Right to, to get what it takes to actually get out there and get the job and get the qualifications. Um, so I think people are going to be a lot more accustomed to online learning. I think too, you know, you mentioned Amazon and Google. There are some private businesses that are really stepping up. The way I see it, and providing those transformative uh, solutions and breaking the mold, like Praxis, which I'm sure you're familiar with. They're a group that is an alternative to college. You know, it's apprenticeship based. So the idea is you go in, you pay the tuition. You get trained up for six months, you do a, maybe a one-year apprenticeship, uh, and by the end of that apprenticeship, uh, if you succeed, you will have earned back the tuition that you paid into Praxis in the first place, right? So it's kind of like a, a wrinkle in time of getting you from uh, you know, the classroom into the job you want rather than having to do the four years of college and all the debt. Um, these programs are out there, and you know with, with good marketing and good word of mouth, we can make people realize that, hey, the, the four-year university model – is not the only way to go.
3: Yeah. Uh, Let me ask you one more thing before we let you go. You touched in it on your piece. Uh, I'm a lower level guy. I think lower level is a good way to start with a solution. Maximizing people's own money for college. We talked about how ridiculously expensive it is, but there is some ways we can practically let people do it. You talked about 529 investments. Um, I've got a daughter that's got a 529. She got it from the uh, Do It For Baby Dog COVID vaccination program of all the things. Uh, But I mean, it's a fantastic thing. It's a large amount of money. It's in a 529 actually draws interest. She earned money on it before she even started cracking it for college stuff. What would it take to do some just some basic regulatory form? Because the truth of the matter is these 529s are wonderful tools. There's a lot of IRS restrictions and gatekeeping on how the money can get into them, get out of them. There could be some regulatory fixes here that just lets people use their own money more effectively in higher education, isn't there?
0: Absolutely. Well, the two main ones you have are 529s and then something called the Coverdale ESA. Both of them, you're able to put money in and get some tax benefits, able to draw that money tax free when it's time to pay for college. But the problem is, there's all these hidden rules built in. Like in the 529s, you can't invest in most mutual funds or ETFs or individual stocks. It has to be these pre-approved sets of investment options. In the Coverdale ESAs, you can take more risk with the range of, uh, you know, investment portfolio options, but you can only give $2,000 a year. So why these are there, uh, I I think the burden of proof is on the other person to tell me why they're there in terms of why we shouldn't be able to take greater risks, you know, with with funding and education, especially when the government has jacked up the price so much. But if you just remove some of those barriers, you let people invest in cryptocurrency and individual stocks, you remove the $2,000 cap, you know, let people take risks with their own money that they have earned clearly the government doesn't know how to manage money well for 30 trillion in debt social security is going insolvent who are they to tell the american citizen actually we need to help you make sure you don't lose your money uh seems kind of ridiculous to me
3: and if you have never heard of the coverdales they're kind of think ira you can only put x amount of money into them that's sort of the model that was based out of all right sean one last question for you Uh, I know we talked about this. This is a loud issue. It's probably going to get louder, especially if uh, President Biden takes action on it. Let's assume he does this $10,000 proposal and just basically nobody's happy with it. What's the next phase of this debate, do you think?
0: Yeah, well, it really depends who is in power, right? If this mobilizes, you know, uh, right of center turnout, and you've got the Democrats losing because they gave $10,000, I don't see the Republican Party when they control the House and Senate Letting any kind of uh, student loan debt relief pass through, right? But if something wild happens and this mobilizes more Democratic turnout because they say, hey, they didn't go far enough, you vote for us, we're actually going to push Biden to do more, right? Then you have a a long shot chance of this being the stepping stone to full debt relief, right? Either way, let's remember it's not fair to rob Peter to pay Paul, right? People took out those loans, they can pay them off more than about half of everyone who took out student loans has paid them off. This is not some impossible task to consider. Personal responsibility, fiscal responsibility go a long way, right? In terms of developing you know, the citizens we like to see today and we can't afford it. So no relief should be given. We should focus our energy on reforming the system, make it easier for people to get out of the debt and for that debt to not even be a possibility in the first place. I think that's how you get to a fairer system, a more sustainable system, and one that isn't built on just political appeal to uh, staying in office.
3: Yeah, Sean Tima joining us. We also need to point out here, uh, this executive action will very definitely wind up in court as well, because there's some legalities on how much they can actually do here. So we need to mention that as well. Uh, Sean Tima, thank you so much for the time talking student loan debt. Let folks know where they can follow you, your writing and your social media and whatever else you have going on until we talk to you again
0: absolutely we can follow me on twitter at liberty sean and you can follow all the great work that uh, young americans for liberty is doing at at y a liberty one l
3: and uh his piece is in the american spectator we will link to it in the show notes so you can read it for yourself sean thank you so much for the time today appreciate it sir
0: yeah great to be here thanks for having me
3: yeah we'll talk again soon